yum nub. Reach out for yum nub. I told me to be chicken. Hello and welcome to Yubcast, your Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name is Matt, and I am a slow learner. And my name is Jamie. The Sith killed each other, victims of their own greed. But from the ashes of destruction, I was the last survivor. I chose to pass my knowledge on to only one. I created a legacy so resilient that now you come before me. Have you come to be my apprentice? You must kill me to gain my place. I love that episode. Yeah, it's one of my favorite episodes of all time, and I'm still not sure if that really is Cad Bane or not. Not Cad Bane, Darth Bane. Darth Bane. Yeah, Darth Bane or not. <laughs> it's definitely not Cad Bane. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's. I mean, it says it is, and I didn't know that Mark Hamill voiced him. Mark Hamill voices him. Yeah. When I when I went looking for this quote, it said that Mark Hamill uh, did this. I uh, did this quote. Awesome. Mark Hamill has a cameo in today's episode. Um, but that sort of leads us to what we're doing today. Um, today we are reviewing um, the first episode of Star Wars Visions, The Duel, uh, which was originally released on September 22nd, 2021. We're going to get into all of this in a minute. Before we do that, I want to ask you, Jamie, like we do every week, did you do any Star Wars this week? Well, other than watching Visions, no. I really haven't. No, that is not true. Sunday, not not this last Sunday, but the previous Sunday I watched episode or I watched Rogue One and episode four back to back. Yeah, I was gonna say we haven't we didn't record and so I know that you watched at least one movie. But you watched yes. them both? Yeah. Yeah, I, um the kids were off doing their own thing and I think my wife was just sick or, or something, so I just decided I'm going to watch Star Wars. So I watched them back to back, and it was great. I have not done that actually. I have not watched Rogue One leading into A New Hope. It fits. Um, That's all I say. Cool. So I've had a cold a little bit, and I'm sure it still shows up in my voice. Um, and I've had a very long week at work, so I've had very little time to do Star Wars. I watched Bespin part of empire the other day i don't think i take advantage of the fact that i can just watch bits of the movies when i have free time um like 20 minutes just watching the last 20 minutes of empire or yeah the streaming has really kind of ruined like uh movies kind of like the way you know digital downloading has ruined like albums you know like before you know you listen to the entire album and, you know, you listen to it over and over again, and you discovered songs that you wouldn't normally listen to, you know, so you, you're kind of forced to. Now it's just like, like I, you know, I don't have to watch all of this movie. I could just watch the parts that I like and then uh, stop it, which is great for movies that really stink, but have some cool things in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't embraced that culture, but I'm only sort of now dipping my toe into it. Um, I did watch this. Well, I watched, so we'll get into Visions in a second, but I watched a lot of the Visions that came out um, last week, uh, five days ago. We're recording this on Monday, September 27th, um, so they've been out for less than a week, and they dumped them all at once, which I want to talk about in a few minutes, but I did. we did watch, I know you watched several of these as well, um, and so did I, but other than that, I just haven't had much time to do Star Wars, I'm hoping this week I can 
sort of sit down and do more than just edit a podcast episode about Star Wars, but uh, I didn't get much much time to it. Yeah, it happens. You got you have an important job, you know, so it's let it slide this one time. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> um, should we should we just get into visions and start talking about that? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. In our last episode, we talked about how we're going to review visions as they're dropped week after week for the next nine-ish weeks. Um, because we recorded that before we realized they'd already announced that they were going to do this, going to do it this way, but we didn't realize that they were going to drop them all on the 22nd. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're not going to change our plan. We're going to review one a week for the next nine ish weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, that way we can spend time on it and say that we did it and move on. Whether they're good or bad, each one kind of deserves, you know, we can give them more time to discuss. Right. And, um, and our schedules really mean we can record once a week. It's sort of weird if we, were, if we, we just don't have time to record twice a week and release more than one episode or pile them all into one thing. And so we, we sort of did Clone Wars a disservice by cramming season three into one episode. We're going to take our time here and just do them all. So the first one, and we're going to go in order, uh, the order that are that's on Disney+. Plus. And so the first one is The Duel. Um, it has an approximate runtime of 15 minutes, and this is part of the, quote, Star Wars Visions collection, which is, just to emphasize this up top, if it's not obvious to everybody, these are non-canon anthology stories told in by Japanese studios, animation studios, in sort of the collective artistic style known in the United States, at least, as anime um, or Japanese animation. That's correct, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. Um, I'm not hip on the lingo, so that's good. So I think. I think. I think that's probably a good segue into us discussing just really briefly what our experience is with this medium. Uh, medium being anime. So why don't you just give us like a real quick summary of if you watch any anime um, or your overall overall impression of it? Um, the anime that I've watched, I've watched like old school anime like Akira, um, Robotech. I was big into that as a kid, and you know I've seen little here and there. Um, I some of the the stuff that's really popular, I just don't. I just don't get, or I don't like, like Cowboy Bebop, Spirit Away. I really hate all of those. Uh, even though you know everybody says that they're great, there's I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but uh, that's kind of where I am. Um, and like all like the the anime, you know, like uh, you know, based you know that's based upon like uh, pretty much like trading cards or other sort of stuff like. Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, Beyblade, sort of stuff that my kids would watch. I'm just not, not, not a fan of that style. So you would probably classify yourself as not, not necessarily. Anime isn't like an adjective that you would use to describe something that that you would like. It's it's more like you've watched things that are anime and you like them, but but there's lots of anime that take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good uh, description. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm similar in that when I was a kid in the when you're a kid in the '80s, there was anime cartoons on television. I'm not sure people were calling them anime. You mentioned Robotech. There was also like Voltron. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those very old anime, like things like Speed Racer and stuff like that. Um, I remember all of that stuff and enjoying that. I like Spirited Away and those like that family of movies from that studio, I think they're, they're entertaining and good. Um, my kids watch Pokemon. I watch it with them. There's nothing, but sort of like you, there's nothing. I don't seek it out, I guess is what I I should say. I don't, as like a genre, it's hard for me to imagine what it, what it means as a genre other than like the artistic style. It's Mm -hmm. not something I, I actively avoid or something I actively look for. I don't, I don't like things like cowboy bebop. One punch man is fine. Um, I get the exaggerate, exaggerated, um, power and motion and action of these, of this style. Um, but it's something that I, I just am, if I were to classify my knowledge of anime, I'd probably put myself at two out of ten. Yeah, I somewhere along the same lines. I do, I do remember there was one um, anime that I had watched recently, which it's actually an older one, but I um, I had watched it in college. I had taken a, a Japanese history class, and uh, we watched this movie, and it's called Grave of the Fireflies. And it it is such a good movie, and it is such a, just a, a kick in the balls and the punch in the gut. It's it's such a good movie, and it's so like sad and disturbing. It's like like after watching Animal Farm, where you're just kind of like, oh, what the, you know, like I, I don't think I could ever you know look at the world again the same way. It's one of those kind of movies, and I and I appreciate you know I I can appreciate it because it's such a good story to it that like. Something like the, anim- the animation style. The animation style is more just like it's not kind of like the over exaggerated type that like we normally see for like uh, like anime. It was it was more kind of like your traditional like cartoon. People actually look proportional. But that that movie is great. So I I, I highly recommend that uh, anybody who hasn't seen it to uh, go, you know if you like movies that might um, make you feel bad. This is, a, this is a good movie for that. All right. All right, I'll put that on my list of existential nightmares to experience. <laughs> Thank you for the recommendation. Yeah. All right, it's so, like, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, um, when, the, um, when the, uh, the American version of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movie came out, and the trailer was, uh, get ready for the feel-bad movie of <laughs> whenever. Because <laughs> it... Oh my God! The the original movie like was just like oh, oh Jesus Christ! All right, so um, let's move on to sort of the the preamble to the review. Then I think I do think um, we're going to get a variety from what I've watched so far. I've only watched the first four or five of them, and there are nine. There is a variety of different animation styles, and that makes me very excited. And I think some of them serve the story well, and some of them serve the story less well. Um, I do think, spoiler alert, going into this one, I think the animation style for the duel does serve the story well. Um, but we'll get to I that. Agree. We'll get to that in the review a bit. 
Um, I want to just do what I was doing for Bad Batch up at the top and just talk a little bit about some of the actors before we get into the review. Um, every one of these episodes is produced by a different studio, and I'm going to do a little bit more of a deep dive on the other studios, hopefully in other episodes, but today's episode was produced by a studio called Kamikaze Duga. Um, I looked them up, and I couldn't I couldn't find much about what else they had done, but nothing I recognized. They're a relatively new studio. They've been around for about 10 years or 12 years. Um, seems like they're, they are producing a lot, but nothing I would recognize, nothing I recognized. Um, so hopefully we can, hopefully I can do a little bit better job on researching the other studios, but Kamikaze Duga is the one that made this episode, The Duel, um, obviously, these were originally recorded in Japanese, but there's a Japanese cast and an, and an English language cast for the dubbed version. Um, so, since we're watching the English language one, because I don't speak Japanese, uh, we're going to highlight some English language actors. Um, so, first, Brian T. Um, he's the actor that plays the main character of this episode, who's just known as Ronin. Um, in the sort of cast list, um, Brian T is a live action is a live action actor. Um, he's appeared in a ton of stuff. He was in Chicago PD and Chicago Fire, <laughs> Chicago all of those, PD. all of those Chicago uh, shows. <laughs> there are like a whole series of these, and he played the same character in all of them. He's in like four hundred episodes of these shows. Um, he was also in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. Uh, he was in Jurassic World, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Hawaii Five-0. He's been in everything. Um, <laughs> you've seen him or heard his yeah. voice. He, he's not the one with the gravelly voice, is he? Uh, what do Chicago you mean? PD. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he plays Shredder in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Really? Yeah. Um, so I think Shredder had a pretty gravelly voice. Uh, but this is his first Star Wars credit. So welcome to the family. <laughs> Um, the second actor I'd like to highlight is the actor who played the female bandit leader, whose name is uh, Kuru, uh, never mentioned in the show, but mentioned in the novelization that is linked to the show. And uh, she is played by Lucy Liu. Um, and this is also oh, her cool. first Star Wars credit. Go ahead. I said that's cool. I haven't uh, seen her in anything in a long time. Yeah, the last thing I... I mean, I don't watch much TV anymore. The last thing I saw her in was in that... Sherlock Holmes CBS series um, where she played I refuse yeah, I refuse to watch that just out of uh, principle okay I'm like a Sherlock Holmes guy so I'll watch any Sherlock Holmes adaptation right, anything else on Lucy Liu? Uh, no alright so the last last thing I want to highlight here is sort of the director of the episode and I'm going to butcher his first name but it's uh, Takanobu Takanobu uh, Mizuno, and he's the director. I looked him up on IMDb, um, and he's he hasn't directed much. Um, he's most of his credits are for art departments and video games. Um, he had he was an art designer in Mega Man Eight, um, but he has directed several cartoon shorts. And in 2015, he directed a cartoon short called uh, Tokyo Tokyo of the Moon Shadow. It's like a a mythology 
um, where there's a bunch of guardians in the solar system protecting Earth, and one of them lives on the moon, and the and its name is Tokyo, and and he has to ally himself with the one that lives on Mars, and they go on these adventures together. Um, the plot sounded pretty cool. Uh, I just wanted to point out some other work that he's done. I think that's all I'm going to highlight for the production cast this time. Um, so if you're ready, we can move on to the plot summary. It starts off right away. You know, you can. Know, this is very um, stylized. It's it's not super colorful. There there is color in um, in it, but it, the color is used more for uh, accenting uh, things like uh, lightsabers or blaster fire. Um, and it's uh, I mean, it starts off like, like an old school western or like. Like a like an old uh, Kurosawa film, and it um, it even prints out uh, the name the duel in Arabesh, and so it's and they added kind of a grainy feature to it, which I totally appreciate. I really, if nothing else, I really appreciated that that extra little, um, you know, that extra you know attention to detail to make it seem like it was a. Um, like an old movie, like, like I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, Grindhouse. I didn't particularly care for all of it, but they did a lot to just kind of make it feel like it was a shitty '70s exploitation movie. Yeah, like dra- and, dragging the film behind the truck for a little bit to scratch it and things. Mm-hmm. You know, like things where, like, not, obviously not in here, but we can just see the mic just for a second. Uh, I know they did that in. Oh, so that movie Black Dynamite just is I, I, I love that sort of attention to detail to make something look, you know, authentic. The the whole the whole opening of this since since we're talking so much about the design, uh, I'm one hundred percent in agreement with you here. I think it it sets the tone, like panning down onto Ronan sort of looking over the village. And and just the the whole almost black and whiteness of it, and the grainy nature, and sort of, it's like it's like if you drew it with just a pencil, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and the only the only tool you have is how dark you're going to shade it. Um, that's what it sort of feels like before you start seeing the little splashes of color and like the lamps and 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 things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so effective to give you that sort of old. Kurosawa um, look to the whole thing, like you're watching Seven Samurai or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's so perfect. So the setting is a village on the planet uh, Jinbara. The show opens up on a single figure, a man with some sort of uh, marking on his face like a tattoo. He's looking down on a village from an overlook with an astromech droid, which is designated R5D56. That's very wearing the kind of the wicker hat with you can see its little sensors uh, through the front of it. The village looks to be a relatively primitive farming village with droids tending to the fields, um, but otherwise wooden huts along the main street. The man goes to a Sullivan's shop where he gives him a bag of coins for some food. Now the Sullivan says it must be lonely traveling by yourself, but just then a transport tank drives up and enters the village. Now I want to say something before continuing. Like I had no idea what like where where any of this lay uh, in canon, and I saw this transport. It looks exactly like the body of an AT uh, AT AT with um, 
the sides looking like the troop transport. Yeah. So I love the design of the. I know when we start when you were watching this, you texted me and asked if these were canon. The the design of this transport, especially when it drives by, it looks exactly like the troop transport. But you're right; like the bigger view looks like the body of the of just like a regular ATAT. And I love this thing. It is so Star Warsy to me. It is. It's like I don't know. It's like you you have all the pieces that make something Star Wars right in front of you. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's very much uh, reminds me of the. Uh, the Imperial uh, ship in uh, the Great Heap in Droids. Oh my God! I was just thinking about that. <laughs> that you know they they use that body design for like a ship, so it's it's neat to kind of see them doing it again. Okay, so this uh, and, and this thing it's just like it's just like rambling through town, and it's just looks like it could just it's barely going through you know it's barely not hitting anything as it's going through um one of the streets the villagers scatter and inside the transport you can see a bunch of people in old first order stormtrooper armor and other random gear the sultan explains that they're raiders from just over the mountain who sit up in an abandoned base they're the last remnants of the war and they just come to raid the village I want to pause here for a second to do mm-hmm. some of the world building that the book did, if I can. Okay. So, so at, at this point in time, the book, the book, Ronin, hasn't come out yet. But there's been an excerpt published of the first five chapters, and there's some background given in those first few chapters. I was able to read some of it today, but I'm not done with the five chapters. But the war that he's referring to is an alternative history of the Star Wars universe where um, a group of Jedi break off from the Jedi sect and become Sith and they rebel against the feudal system in this area and start what's called the Sith Rebellion. And the Sith Rebellion ultimately fails and there's a new empire formed called the Feudal Jedi Empire. And the Jedi are basically tied to the land and a feudal system to guard it against these like roving bands of Sith. Um, so I just want to put a little context there. This is a completely different way of viewing Jedi and Sith. We can talk about whether that's good or bad later, but that's that's what he's referring to. That's a very uh, Japanese history spin on it. On it. Yeah, it um, sure is. Because <laughs> he's called Ronin. is very... Uh, Tokugawa era Japanese history. But anyways, okay. And I just wanted to also point out that uh, they're not just wearing First Order stuff. They are also wearing just the regular, the original Stormtrooper armor, or at least parts of it. Yeah, correct. It's like they're wearing the helmet that are just like carved up. So they only have like the bottom, um, the bottom part, not the top. And they wear some chest pieces, but they're not really wearing pants or anything like that. So it's definitely a uh, Star Wars spin on kind of a, a you know concept we've seen before in in other um, you know Japanese films, especially you know like, uh, Akira Kurosawa. And one one of the things that I want to do with these episodes is try to place them in the timeline. This one's basically impossible because it's completely alternative history. But looking for landmarks like First Order helmets or how fat Jabba is, or things like that, will help us place them in the timeline. But yeah. um, it's hard to do with this one. Yeah. So the villages are the villages are around 
uh, rounded up in the town uh, square. The Sullison says that they should hide. The raiders demand to speak to the chief of the village, and they say that they are there to collect taxes. A child stands up, and he says he's the chief, and that they've taken enough. Now, the raiders make fun of the boy and says that his father must be a coward for letting a boy take his place. And it shows the father snoring in the nearby hut, which I thought was kind of funny. But they, I didn't quite get it. I mean, yeah, I, I thought that was the you know like uh, the Chekhov's gun, where I thought that that would have to come back around somehow. Yeah, I, but, I had the exact same thought. I was like, what's the point of showing his father if it's not going to come back? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, if that's the flaw with this that I have, I guess it's still pretty good. But just talk about like a waste. Right, might as well have just shown him, like shown his grave, you know. Mm-hmm. At least give him, give him a reason to fight, rather than like, oh, his father's like a deadbeat. <laughs> he he's drunk from all the uh, from all the drinking and whoring he's done. Yeah, he's high on spice or whatever, right? I mean, yeah. like, there's just no context to it. Like, I watched it with closed captioning on, and it and it literally said snoring in parentheses. It's like okay, so. Because the first time I watched it, I was like, is he dead? Um, but no, he's sleeping. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, uh, so the raiders threaten the boy, and all of a sudden, the boy raises his hand, and snipers start shooting at the raiders. A Trandoshan and an RA-7 droid, uh, you know, a, a Death Star droid, or, you know, an a, you know AP-5 from Rebels. Uh, I think there's one that's partially seen in um, in the Jawa. Um, yeah, yeah. Thing. Yeah, um, so uh, the RA-7 droid has pretty much uh, what would be a, a minigun and opens fire on the raiders, and the Doug is flying an old probe droid and flies it into the fight, cutting down the raiders. These are uh, a group of hired guards that protect the village. Since the raid is not going well for the uh, the raiders, a woman shows up on the top of the transport. The Trandoshan says she should surrender, and they won't kill her. The woman then says that she's going to kill all of them and pulls out an umbrella-like device with eight red lightsaber blades. The RE7 droid yells that she's a Sith and opens fire. Now, I find this kind of interesting that the droid would be like, granted, this is alternative timeline, but the droid acts just like a... First off, the droid is dressed in traditional garb, and then the droid, you know, like panics. Yeah, he definitely Uh, has emotions. He, yeah, he, has a, he emotes very heavily in a second. Yeah, so the the RA seven droid yells that she's Sith and opens fire. The lightsaber umbrella contraption starts spinning around, deflects all the blasts away. This is Kuru, the the leader of the bandits. As she's deflecting the blasts, one ricochets and hits the Sullison's shop and damages the astromech droid. The Wanderer, aka Ronan, asks the Sullison if he can repair the droid before the water and the tea boils. And he places a, as he's doing this, as he's saying this, he places a pot of water on the fire. The Solisons claims he can fix the droid, and Ronan leaves, walking into the village. Now the fight with uh, Karu is going poorly. She's using the Force to defeat the Trandoshan than the R7 droid. She has more raiders in the tank, and they come out and subdue the village. She refers to herself as a Dark Lord. She runs the transition through and then kills the droid. Ronan walks effortlessly through the crowd. Now, this is a thing. This is one thing that I noticed that he's just walking through while there's chaos everywhere. And she notices him and says she doesn't look like any of the villagers. She asks who she is, and he replies that he's just a wanderer. So this is this is a really interesting moment. Um, 
it's a it's a like an old action movie trope to have like your hero walking through the chaos and nothing touching him like he's tiptoeing through the raindrops but i really like how it works here because it's it's almost like the uh it's almost like um cheer it walking to the switch you know he just doesn't care mm-hmm. he's one with the force and it just it, it just works for me in this scene where so much is happening it seems plausible that he could be ignored but it works very well. Yeah. At the same time, though, you would think that she would detect him. Yeah, sure. Because you know that's a that's that's a thing that happens in a lot of Star Wars. They Luke all of a sudden, you know, regrets coming along to the mission because he knows that he can detect Vader, and Vader can detect him. Um, just as an example, know when somebody else appears. It, that, that only works if if it's useful, right? I mean, it's we <laughs> that's true. To, we talked about the plot, the force being a plot device. Maybe she doesn't have that ability, or maybe she can't detect other Sith. Yeah, right. Pal- I mean, yeah, Palpatine didn't like know Yoda was coming until he was already in the or in his office and had slammed the guards, you know, against the wall or each other. I can't remember which. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So it's definitely definitely a, a plot device, or else you know things would be a lot more interesting. <laughs> okay, it's so, okay. So she pulls her blade out of the umbrella, and it's just a normal lightsaber. So the umbrella probably amplifies it, or is some sort of you know extension. I'll say that she, I'll say that in the trailer. I like the umbrella in in the episode when it gets un, un, unveiled. And she like runs the Trandoshan through. I'm like, I don't know if I like the umbrella. And then when she pulls the blade out and it's just a regular lightsaber, I was like, oh no, fuck this! I love that umbrella. This whole setup is cool. Yeah, I was. I'm not thrilled about the umbrella, but I like the idea of like having like a like an attachment to the lightsaber to make it like just a little bit more powerful. But in the yeah. end, it's just a lightsaber. Yeah, it modulates the activity of a lightsaber to give it a different purpose. And, it, yeah. and it's only temporary. The thing I like about it is, like, she takes it out and then throws the thing away. Like, she mm-hmm. just tosses the umbrella attachment to the side. Um, yeah, we yeah, because we see this sort of thing in the High Republic with, like, the um, the Jedi vectors, the their starfighters, that they're powered, maybe not powered, but they're activated by the lightsabers of the Jedi using the ship. Right, right. That's a great point. I didn't think of that. Um, but yeah, I, I just like I just like this thing after, especially after I realized it was just a normal lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she jumps at Ronan before she strikes him. He uses the force to freeze her blade. Now this is a pretty cool scene. I have to admit that he's just like holding his hands above his head, kind of like in a sort of kind of like a you know in, in a semicircle, and the blade's kind of in the middle. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So she assumes that he, uh, he's a Jedi. She said it's been a long time since she's killed a Jedi. And the Ronin pulls his blade out of the sheath, and it's also red. And she's shocked. Ronin says that, unfortunately, he's no Jedi. She removes her cloak, and they fight. And the battle in the village continues. And the, the Tusken Raider sniper dies. The Doug flying the probe droid crashes. The Solacen's shopkeeper is still trying to fix the astromech. And he has R5 plugged into a gonk droid. And he's kind of like... He, you know, he's working on the droid, and you see him like looking at the water. You know, he's got to get it done before the water boils. And so the Ronin and the woman continue fighting. And they end up on a log, floating down the river, exchanging blows. 
The village eventually surrenders to the raiders. Troopers come to inform Kuru that she is that the battle is over. She tells Ronin that he should drop his weapon. He puts his sword away. So norm- normally I would dislike something like, and then they end up on a log headed toward a waterfall. Because I don't like, I get peril fatigue really easily. And I don't think you need to pile on like stakes to stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's already dangerous enough that this crazy woman is swinging a lightsaber at you, and you think that someone's going to lose a hand at any second, you know? Yeah. But this this battle for me just works. It's just so cool that they're fighting on this log, and and I don't know, it just works for me. Yeah, I, I like it's like how I appreciate the uh, the final battle between Obi Wan and Maul. There's not a whole lot of action. In fact, the action is very short. It's all the kind of the lead up, the kind of the the standoff, sort of to it. That's what I kind of like. And like, there ends up being a bit of a standoff where he's just kind of like holding his arm close to his close to his lightsaber, but not not like not on the hilt. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think I think they do they do deal with the downtime of the action very well in this. They they use they use it for pacing in the right way. Mm-hmm. Right to build suspense, like you're not sure what's going to happen. Yeah, but, but you're assuming something bad is going to happen soon. Yeah. So in Sultan's shop, the water is boiling and the tea kettle is whistling. Karu repeats for Ronan to throw down his weapon. Instead, he hits a button on his bracer, and the astromech raises into the village, firing off small rockets, kind of like uh, the uh, the little birds in the uh, Mandalorian. I'm so glad you said this. Um, I didn't put it in the notes, um, but it reminded me exactly of the little birds from the Mandalorian mm-hmm. weapon. Yeah. And so the uh, the rockets are taking out the troopers. One of the rockets flies towards uh, Kuru. She bats it away. She turns around, and Ronan reveals that he is the one that summoned the droid. She attacks him, and he ends up falling down the waterfall in the river below. She loses sight of him in the water, but uh, he has come up behind a waterfall in a cave with a shrine. She jumped out and sees his blade behind the fall. She jumps through the water, slashing, but she hits the shrine where the Ronin had placed his lightsaber. He stabs her in the back, and she falls. I wanted to uh, mention that like he has he has two lightsabers, and this is very much just you know a samurai tale done in kind of like the Star Wars style, I guess you say. And having two swords is like a major status symbol among samurai. Yeah, I was reading about the weaponry of uh, the samurai before we were recording, and I, I saw um, stuff about the two-blade, um, the double-bladed thing, and what it means to be a ronin, and all that sort of stuff. I definitely need to read, I need, need to understand the subtlety more, but uh, I really like this, this scene where she... Yeah explodes through the waterfall thinking she's got the drop on him um cuts through the shrine and he runs up behind her and stabs her um, mm-hmm. and she falls over um i ha- i've never used uh, so much of that uh japanese history class as i have right now it was it was uh it was, i was fated to take that class there you go 16 years ago <laughs> so we can do the, so we can do this um show for eight weeks yes Right, so Ronan walks back to the village, and the Sultan runs to meet him with uh, the gonk droid running behind him. Ronan gives the shopkeeper the lightsaber umbrella as an additional payment. 
The young chief tries to thank him. Ronan says that no thanks is necessary. The boy asks him his name, and he is that he must be one of the Jedi Knights of Legend. Ronan drops the woman lightsaber on the ground and pulls out his red blade. The crowd is shocked by the red blade. Ronan uses the blade to cut through her hilt and takes the kyber crystal. He's about to put it in his robe with uh, about maybe six other red kyber crystals, but it said gives it to the kid and says it wards off evil. He walks away down the road in the end. Now, I, I, because the lightsaber color was mentioned, that like she... Like Guru, she like mentions like, oh, your lightsaber color. They seem to like know like based upon color what it is. It, like most people in the Star Wars universe really don't seem to know that. They just see a lightsaber. Yeah, there is definitely an emphasis on like the RA seven droid says she's a Sith when he sees her red lightsaber, and so whatever's going on in this alternative timeline or alternative universe, red means bad. Yeah. Universally bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, so that's the, that's the yeah. whole thing. Um, before we get into it, I, I just want to point out a couple of little plot points that I came across in my research that is not obvious in in the story. Um, primarily, she's not dead. No? Nope, she doesn't die when he stabs her. Um, she survives the attack. And that, that apparently is in the book, but it's... it's I haven't gotten to that part yet. Um, so mild spoilers for the book, I guess, uh, <laughs> because it's in the, it's in the pre-release section of the book. So I apologize if I just ruined the book for you, but apparently it's in the first five chapters that you can read on StarWars.com oh, right now. Because if you're listening <laughs> to this, it's at least several days after we've recorded it. Um, so there's that. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is the moment when he pulls his sort of robe back and you see like the row of kyber crystals in his robe. Um, I immediately wanted to know more about this guy. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's mysterious and he's obviously powerful. Um, and he's got a, a lightsaber and he says, unfortunately I'm no Jedi, whatever that means. Um, but when he pulls his robe back and you see, I don't, I couldn't count them. But there was at least five or six, like inside his robe, count not counting his own lightsaber and the one that he just got. Um, it's clear that this guy is on some sort of mission, and I want to know exactly what that mission is and what's going on with him and his backstory. Um, also, his name is Ronan in the in the credits and in the plot summary, and the name of the book is Ronan, but supposedly. Um, his astromech droid R5D56 knows his true identity, but won't tell anybody. And this fact was released in a piece of Star Wars Visions supplemental material um, following the release of the trailer on StarWars.com when they describe the droid in the straw hat. Mm-hmm. They say that he they actually misnamed the droid as R5D56. It's R5D56. But he carries Ronan's secrets with him. So there's that. Um, there's a couple other things. Yeah. But we can talk well, about that. And yeah, it should be noticed that, like, for people who don't know, a Ronin is a, is a masterless samurai. Japanese samurai, you know, was actually a class. Just because you're a warrior doesn't make you a samurai. You had to be born, you know, into the samurai class. 
you know, samurai served uh, a lord or a daimyo, uh, daimyo. And so, like, if their daimyo um, died, um, you know, they would become ronin, uh, you know, if they didn't commit seppuku. And there's the famous story of the, um, say, the 43 ronin who, uh, whose master is killed and they, they plot um, to uh, kill the person who, um, who murdered their who murdered their master. Yeah, and it's forty seven running, I think, or is, is it forty seven? I, I was can never remember. It's I, I know it's a prime number. <laughs> there you go, nerd. Uh, <laughs> uh, it is forty seven running. Sorry, yeah. I it up. Um, yeah, and so this Ronin guy, this Ronin is a masterless guy who's wandering around, right? Um, who maybe this is why I want to know more about him, right? When we talked about when we were when you and I were speculating about what the Force Awakens might be when we just knew next to nothing about who Kylo Ren was. Um, you and I thought he could be a Ronin, like like a Jedi or a Sith without a master, roaming around, causing trouble. We thought that would be a great concept for a Jedi mm-hmm. or a Sith. Um, so we're, we're sort of getting that incarnation here a little bit. Um, I do want to get your overall impression, so uh, let's go ahead and do it. Did you like it? Uh, overall, I liked it. Once, you know, I'm... Was once I was able to let go of that, it's not really, um, not really canon. It's just kind of its own sort of thing. That you know, I I I, I did enjoy it. So let's let's go ahead and drill down just so people understand. Um, on a previous recording, you you called yourself sort of a canon snob. The way you described it to me is so part of your apprehension to these visions is that these vision episodes is that they're not canon. They're just um, something with Star Wars slapped on it, you know, like my, you know, like my daughter's pajamas or her uh, Grogu backpack. You know, it's it's just a product with Star Wars slapped on it. In this case, the product, you know, isn't a, 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 a material thing. It's a you know, it's a uh, it's a, piece a video. Of art. Yeah, yeah, it's a piece of art. But you know, I but there's been that sort of stuff. All the time, there's you know, like you've seen like Samurai Vader or Samurai, you know, uh, Boba Fett figurines, and and other kind of uh, you know like Star Wars inspired art. So this is just that, just put to uh, put to action. How how is this better or worse than Lego Star Wars? True. Yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, this is. I'm also a canon snob. I like the idea that it's all one story that it all feeds together. But but if you're going to make Star Wars a cultural art project the way that the certain point of view books do, where they bring in 40 authors to write 40 short stories that take place just off camera during Empire Strikes Back, um, you're making Star Wars a cultural art project where everyone gets a say on what is Star Wars. I'm fine if, if they want to give an alternative like this is star wars what if as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. like what if what if star wars took place in feudal japan <laughs> yeah you know like go ahead and tell that story right it doesn't it doesn't impact my enjoyment of any other piece yeah. of star wars art yeah they, they got their blasters from the dutch not too many people know that <laughs> there you go Really flexing that. Really flexing those three Japanese history credits. <laughs> hey, how many do you have? Zero. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, yes, it, 
yes, it's not Star Wars in the sense that it's not canon Star Wars, but it is a what if to me. And it does create a character that I'm going to get to read a novel about in a couple weeks. And that novel may or may not be good, but it might give me ideas about what Star Wars can be. It might, it might bring more people to Star Wars, you know? And so I think, I think closing this loop with this project, because George Lucas took a ton of inspiration from Japanese cinema and now, 50 years later, Japanese filmmakers are producing Star Wars content. I mean, mm-hmm. we're definitely going to watch them all. And yeah. spoiler alert, everybody, we don't love them all. But I love this one. I think this one's great, um, personally. Uh, yeah. One of, the, one of the few gripes I have, and this is with all of them, and it's just kind of a, I don't know, just it's not something just exclusive to... Uh, to anime is that female warriors wearing high heels uh sure <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever and i just it just annoys me you know that um the you know the villain in this she's wearing high heels and not like just like you know like kind of like combat boots uh, or, or just boots that have maybe a little bit higher heel in it these are actual high heels yeah, that makes, so makes that fight on a log seem less less realistic. Yeah, that's just one of those things that just, just bothers me. But um, yeah, other, otherwise, I you know I had no problem with it. I, th- I thought it, I thought it was great. The style, you know, nothing else. The style that we described was you know was great. I'm just just giving it that weathered old look. It really did have a feel like you're watching a movie. I mean, it was obviously a cartoon, but there there was that feel that that it was like a old black and white film. And I think the color, the splashes of color worked, right? If you, if you, your mind would probably ignore them if you didn't pay attention to them too much. There's just a couple other things I want to touch on if we're done talking about whether or not we liked it. I had the art style down there. We, we t- t- talked about that story quality. I think we talked about that. I think the music cues in this were very interesting. Um, there was the first order theme uh, in there a couple times when they had like the village, the raiders um, rounding up the villagers, it sort of did the the Kylo Ren First Order theme a couple times. But there was also like the the rebels on Indoor theme when they were fighting back. Um, it was very very well placed and very very nice homage to the um, original music. Yeah, and that's about it. So now is the time where we do our, our ratings. Now, how we rate episodes is we rate them by a Star Wars character. So a really great episode would be an original trilogy character, a Darth Vader, Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie. A really bad one would be, I don't know, um, the Ugnot, one of the Ugnots who tosses uh, C-3PO's heads around when uh, uh, you know Chewie's trying to get it. I don't know, but they even but they even play a part. I don't know, but you get the idea. So Matt, what do you uh, what do you rate this episode? Um, I'm going to give I'm going to give this episode HK47 because I think it's a cool episode, but it's not canon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, so I think uh, it's I think it's a good good episode that I got a lot of fun out of, but it's just not canon. Oh, you stole my idea. I was going to uh, I was going to use non-canon characters. Go for it. <laughs> okay. 
Um, for well, everyone that doesn't know, HK forty seven is the is the murderous droid in Knights of the Old Republic. So along those lines, you know, I really, I really did enjoy this. So I'm going to give this a Chewbacca's racist dad from this uh, holiday special, just because he was just so much fun, and this was a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm trying to remember what his name was. I can't remember his name. Mega Itchy. It's M M A A A G R A A A apostrophe H A A A. His name is Itchy. <laughs> it's Atchitik. Atchitik? Doesn't hmm. matter. He plugs himself. Doesn't matter. It's just deep space. It's just. What's. It's just, <laughs> he, he he bought it on the 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 Kashyyyk version of Alex Jones. <laughs> he's worried. He's worried about his kids learning <laughs> learning real history. You know that that's it for us. So uh, we'll be back next week where we will be discussing uh, Tatooine Rhapsody in all its glory. Can't wait. Yep. Be sure to uh, you know tell a friend you know who's you know really into Star Wars that there's a uh, two wieners uh, out there who record a podcast about Star Wars cartoons and uh, you know if you think we suck you know tell somebody you don't like that uh, because you know jokes on them downloads a download for us so all right so we'll be back next week. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Note as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, Please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochbaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only.